Uh, the modern self is a mediated self, a mediated self. Um, if I could critique what uh, Jonathan Grant said, I think media is only slightly behind capitalism as a key structural influence on our lives. So when I say this, the modern self is a mediated self, what I mean is um, you and I are always putting forward some version of ourselves, not the real thing. And we live in a world where that's only being leaned into more, not being worked against. I would say this. I think sin, if you think about the garden, what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve fell into sin? They, they, they hid and they covered themselves with fig leaves, right? So sin creates in us a propensity to hide parts of ourselves from one another. That's the nature of what shame and guilt do. We live in a world where that's, that's on steroids because of how much our whole lives take, take shape through media. I was reading on the way here a book by Malcolm Muggridge, who is a British journalist, written in 1978, and he was going on and on about how mass media is corrupting our discipleship. And he meant television news, right? There were four major networks, and that was all in 1978. Um, if Malcolm Muggridge could see us now, I think he would be overwhelmed in a sad way, right? Um, so think about not just social media, which is a, a very prominent theme. Think about online dating. Think about things like LinkedIn, how even your work life requires you to be online and have some kind of a presence by which you make yourself available to employers or you let people know that you're interested in jobs or you submit your resume and your skill set to people. We are always offering a version of ourselves and managing the version of ourselves that we offer. Um, as a result, many of us have never learned how to offer our true selves to one another or to God. Um, we're, we're very used to offering sort of like the best version of ourselves to each other, right? Th listen, I don't have to say this, but the you that is on Instagram is not the real you. It's the version of you that you want me to see and relate to. You don't put a picture of your underwear drawer on Instagram or of your dirty bathroom, of your kitchen sink overloaded with dishes. And if you do, you're doing it because you know that posting that is like the way to be countercultural and get even more likes. So even that is you being a version of yourself, right? Um, we, we, most of us have never learned to offer our true selves in relationship with each other and with God. And as a result, what this drives then is a certain kind of chronic anxiety. Because we're always worried about how people are relating to us and responding to us. We care a lot how people experience us and how they relate to us. And because we're always offering a version of ourselves, we're also always interested in the question, how are you responding to the version of myself that I offer? Is it a version that you like? Is this a good version of me or a bad version of me? How do you feel about this version of me? Right? And so there's a chronic anxiety within us, a chronic restlessness, because we always want that question answered. How are you relating to me? And so you might say that reactivity is kind of a hallmark of the modern self. Um, we're deeply reactive because we're so nervous and anxious about how people respond to the various versions of ourselves. And think about this. Um, again, if I, I don't want to keep going back to your great-grandparents, but it just is a helpful teaching point, right? Um, think about how 
little anxiety your great-grandparents probably had because there may have been only three versions of themselves, right? There was who they were in the home, there was who they were at work or in the field, and there was who they were at church or in their, you know, whatever club they were a part of, the, the Kiwanis Club or whatever it might have been, right? Um, think about how many versions of yourself you have to manage. There's a Facebook you, there's the Instagram you, there's a Snapchat you, there's the LinkedIn you, there's the you that you are around your kitchen table, there's the neighbor you, there's the hobby you, right? There's the work you, there's the other work you. There, there's so many versions of you that you have to manage and worry about how different people are relating to that it can become really overwhelming and it drives a lot of reactivity because here's what I can promise you, someone in your life always doesn't like the version of you that's out there. So you're always in a fight with someone somewhere and increasingly with people who aren't even really that meaningful in your life but they're friends of yours on social media or they're your uncle who has weird views on politics and you don't like arguing with him but since he's on Facebook and you're on Facebook, might as well argue, right? Um, so, so there's this deep reactivity that we carry in us because of the fact that our, we're so mediated in our existence. Um, so, same question, and let's just talk about it together. I won't make you do it in groups. Let's just do it as a whole room. What are some implications of, of the, the mediated self for Christian discipleship? What are some of the effects this has on our ability to meaningfully walk with Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, we're good. We sort of, yeah, good. We seal off those other layers by this last one, right? You don't have to know all that about me because I'm never going to let you get there. <laughs> That's really good. There's a, there's a kind of disillusionment that comes with that, right? Never believe your own press. Mm. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay, and so for how many people, so if you guys didn't hear that, she just said you're never really loved and accepted for who you are because you haven't put who you are out there and you're afraid that if you really did, you wouldn't be loved and accepted. So for how many of us does that map then onto our view of God? Like I can tell you all day God loves you in Christ, but there's a sense in which because I'm so used to living a mediated existence, what that sounds like to me is God loves a version of me, but I don't know if he loves the real me all the way down, right? Um, there's a sense in which I kind of feel this longing even to perform for God or to put my best self forward and that God loves that version of me, but not the real messy version of me. That's really endemic in our lives. Yeah, what are some other implications for discipleship? Wow. Tell me more about that. Wow. That's so good. How much of our conflict resolution takes place via media? So, yeah, we're not trained to actually respond to real people, but we have our arguments over text. And in ways that is easier, because I, I can take a little more time maybe to think about what I'm saying, but how much of that is us missing the communion of 
reading facial expressions and having to respond to someone else's disfavor and having to talk through things. Yeah, we more and more of our existence is mediated in our communication. Yeah. Um, hey, and think about how this mediated self, how what you just said maps onto even our expectations and assumptions. So, so think about when you send a text message that doesn't at least get a thumbs up or some kind of a response, your immediate assumption is, did I offend that person? Are they ignoring me? Like, there's all kinds of things we start doing of like, how come they haven't responded? It's never maybe their phone is in the other room, um, right? Or, or maybe they read this and they're just processing it. We're, we're sort of used to assigning implication and assumption and motives which is all a function of the fact that we've learned to communicate entirely through mediated forms that don't require presence, right? All right, so let's try to take this now. So what I'm suggesting to you is um, these are five characteristics of the modern self. I'm not sure they're the only five we could talk about. I'm not sure they're even the most important five, but I think they're five that map very interestingly onto the questions of discipleship and mission in the 21st century. So what I'm telling you is you and everyone that you're in community with is bringing this self into church with them, right? We're carrying with us some set of these foundational assumptions. This is the water that we're swimming in, whether we know it or not. And so what we need to begin to ask is, what is a meaningful way then for us to dismantle some of these unhealthy aspects of the self and to allow the scriptures and the gospel to rebuild us in ways that allow us to be our true selves and image-bearing, honest, God-reflecting selves. Um, let me tell you um, maybe two or three um, paradigm shifts that I think are, are important for us. Um, the first is to, um, I think we need in how we offer the gospel to people and how we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think we need to be very straightforward with people that it is going to deconstruct their reality. I think we have a tendency to, because of, someone mentioned the word common ground earlier, Right? We have a tendency to think like, hey, we have common ground with our neighbors. We live in the same neighborhood. We live in the same city. We work at the same places. And, and what we'd like is to see them embrace the common ground of the gospel too. And so how can we just continue to you know, embrace the places where we have common ground and hopefully share the gospel with them and pray for them and move them toward belief in Christ? And that's good and noble. But I think it's more important than ever for us to acknowledge up front with people, hey, Coming to Jesus is going to mean a wholesale upending of how you've learned to do life. Is that okay with you? Like rather than trying to win people over to, hey, 80% of our lives are the same, and I wish you'd just embrace the last 20, which is faith in Jesus. I think we need to say, hey, 20% of our lives are the same, and what I'm going to invite you to do is dump out the apple cart and start from scratch and rebuild your entire vision of life. Because I think that's actually what we're asking people to do. So I wonder if some of the ways we offer the gospel need to change in ways that at least help people go in with their eyes open and say, okay, you Christians are real different, and you're going to give me a real different way of seeing. I might not agree with it or like it yet, but at least we agree that it's not just a little thing, but it's a big thing, okay? 
Um, the second thing is I've increasingly taken, look, because I have um, reformed theological convictions and because I believe strongly in the sovereignty of God and the grace of God, I've historically as a preacher been very strong about the offer of God's grace in the gospel and the fact that we don't have to clean ourselves up or fix anything or change anything. We just come to Jesus and surrender to him as he is. And that's all true, and I don't change any of what I'm saying there. But I'm increasingly, as a preacher, using the language of surrender, the language of the giving over of the self to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I think that's actually the operative thing people need to wrestle with. I don't think I want to use categories of believing. I think I want to use categories of giving up, surrender, bowing the knee, laying down the sword, coming under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think there are ways we can do that and still be good and reformed, but it sounds kind of sometimes a little more altar call-y than I might be comfortable with. But I'm, I'm increasingly talking to people, like, hey, what Jesus is asking of you is that you give yourself over to him. And I think for my non-Christian neighbors, I want them to understand that the gospel is not adding something in that they maybe previously didn't have, but that it's a total surrender of the self, that I'm giving Jesus permission to reshape my life according to his kingdom and his gospel. Again, it's not that I haven't always believed that, but there's just a different way that I'm trying to emphasize that in my own preaching to try to capture the reality that a self that is psychological, buffered, plastic, consuming, and mediated needs to understand that that self is about to get obliterated by the Lord Jesus Christ and rebuilt from the ground up in a way that keeps the gold of that, that keeps the good of that that can be kept, but that tears down the idolatry that's there and the autonomy that's there and the ways that that self is trying to insulate itself from any meaningful demands on its existence. Okay, So those are a couple ways that I think, or a couple implications I think from my vantage point that this has on how we think about offering and proclaiming the gospel. Um, I also think that many of our discipleship issues that we have with people, you just think about what are the common things we experience in discipleship? I already mentioned disciplines of abstinence and disengagement. I also think we need to think about every issue that we face in discipleship through the lens of where might these things be playing out, right? Um, so as an example, right, if I think about um, the, the, the men in my church who are trying to overcome pornography, I don't want to approach that just as an issue of lust, sexual sin, desire, I also want to approach that as a kind of consumerism, right? Because do you know what makes pornography work? Consumption makes it work. I'm always being offered something new, something novel, something different. So to get underneath that and say, hey, yeah, there's, there's issues of lust there and there's issues of desire there, but there's also a way in which that you've been formed as a certain kind of person, and guess what it's going to require for you to put that to death? It's going to require a death of a certain part of you that wants to be a consumer, not just of products, but of human beings, right? Now, I think we all know that intuitively, but coming at that issue through the lens of self and not just through the lens of sex, I think is sometimes helpful, right? Likewise, for places where people struggle to be in relationship, whether it's um, an inability to deal with conflict, an inability to love others, a challenge in actually accepting people who disagree or 
um, majoring on the majors, minoring on the minors, right? Places where we're just prone to not relate well to others. Um, I probably want to tackle this, right? And just say, hey, at the root of our inability to relate to one another, what you need is not just good gospel truth that Jesus made us for relationship. You also are going to have to embrace that you're not, you're not playing bubble soccer, right? The kind of relationship Jesus wants for us is not just the kind of relationship that trades on whatever you have to give me and whatever I have to give you, but that actually moves us out of our buffered selves and into real interaction with one another. It's going to be kind of messy. Um, so, I want people to, to know that and to begin to engage. Hey, part of what makes relationships hard for us isn't just sin and isn't just sometimes people are difficult. It's also my view of the self is highly individualistic. And the gospel is going to have to tear that down so that I can maintain appropriate boundaries of where I end and where someone else begins, but also move toward them in real meaningful relationship in ways that expose me to hurt misunderstanding, frustration, conflict, these things all come with the gospel, right? There's a reason every epistle in the New Testament says, hey, you guys should get along, stop fighting with each other. Those two women who are being obnoxious, tell them to shut up, right? Like that, there's reason those things are in the Bible. And it's because that's exactly what community brings with it. And for people who are buffered selves, we never get deep enough into community to actually persist through those things and see how the gospel gets us to the other side because we tend to cut out as soon as we experience those things or shut off.